Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. fall down. No exceptions. The key is to get up. And so we're going to talk about today how to get up when you're down because all of us are there. If not a physical fall, we fall emotionally and even we fall spiritually. The wise Dr. Seuss and his book, All the Places You'll Go, talks about being down and in a slump, that we just get in a slump. And here's what he writes. When you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun because getting unslumped is not easily done. And he's exactly right. Elijah the prophet got into a huge slump. In fact, he, uh, he got so down and discouraged that he even despaired of life. And amazingly, it came after incredible success. I mean, think about it. Elijah raised the dead son of a widow woman. That's an incredible miracle. And then he had this confrontation with the God of Baal on the mountain and he called down fire from heaven. And then, of course, he asked God to send rain and the rain came. And after miracle, after miracle, after miracle, success after success, Here's a man who is so down, so discouraged, even despairing of life. And here's an important point I want you to understand. Success sets us up to fall. We need to really be careful when things are going well in our lives because, you see, pride and self, those things are always a part of any fall that we have whether it's spiritually or emotionally, emotionally, whatever. We, self is big in that. So following success is when we're vulnerable and we need to be careful. In 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse 2. So Jezebel, that sweet, precious woman of the Old Testament, sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now here's a man who just saw God use him to say to a dead boy, come alive, and the boy is alive. The same man who who saw God send down fire from heaven at his request and consume the altar. Who prayed for rain and the heavens opened. And right after that, Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. He's running scared to death. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. And imagine all these great things that have happened. And a woman is trying to get, at, trying to, get to him. And he says... I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. There he lay. Then he lay under the tree and fell asleep. 
All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Now listen, when we're down, I want to mention some things that, some normal responses when we're down. Number one, we tend to focus on the problem and exaggerate the consequences. When we're down, we tend to focus on the problem and exaggerate the consequences. Our mind begins to play tricks on us. Our imaginations run wild. And we begin to, to, to think about all that could happen or might happen. And the more we think about it, the worse it gets in our mind. And so that's what Elijah, Elijah is sitting under a broom tree whining. How are you doing on your whining? How many of you still got your bracelets or have you buried them? Still got some uh, Here is the man of God under the broom tree and he's whining and he's complaining. Just let me die. I'm no better than my ancestors. I came from a bad family. They messed up. They couldn't do it right. And I'm not any better than they are. I'm just like my relatives. I'm a loser like they are. Just take me out. God, go ahead and take me out. And if you don't take me out, they're going to kill me anyway. So let's just get it over with. But listen to me. God is greater than your past or your problems. God is greater than genetics. God can heal, listen to me, God can heal what your parents didn't do for you or even what they did to you. God can be a father who cannot let you down. So regardless of your past, you've got to focus on God. In, in, in reality... Only about 10% of those things that we worry about and go down over actually happen. And usually it's not as bad as we imagine in our mind to be. How many of you are glad that some things that you've imagined in your mind would happen didn't happen? You're glad it didn't happen. All of us. Because we, we quickly make a, a mountain out of a molehill and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what was happening to Elijah. Focusing on the problem. And as long as you focus on the problem, it'll get bigger and bigger and become more distorted and more distorted because we see a, a blurred and distorted picture. Verse 18 of chapter 19, he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the, with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. God is saying, Elijah's saying to God, God, do you understand the picture here? Do you see what's happening? I mean, all of your people have turned against you. I'm the only one you've got left. And I'm tired. I'm down. What does God say in verse 18? Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. See, sometimes you think that you're the only one with problems. I'm telling you, everybody's got problems. And be careful about wanting somebody else, wanting to change your problems for somebody else's. <laughs> you might want to reverse that quickly. Have you ever felt like you're the only one that's trying to do it right? You're the only one trying to raise a family the right way, trying to parent your children the right way, 
trying to do marriage the right way, trying to serve God in the church the right way, and you're the only one. Listen, God always has a people. You're never alone because God says you always have me. But also there are a lot of others who haven't bowed down to Baal. There are a lot of others who are still looking up and serving Almighty God. And that's true in this church. And, you know, I, I think that when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised at who's not there. and We're going to be surprised at who is there. But there are people who are, who are sold out to God that, that we don't even know. Lee and I had the privilege last week to be in Charlotte, North Carolina at the opening of the Billy Graham Library. And I don't have time this morning. I'll talk about it next week. And I'll even show you some pictures that uh, I took last week of the, because there were three former presidents there. And I love to photograph presidents. And, uh, and Billy Graham, you know, who, is, who, who has served God now 60 years. And in those 60 years, 3 million people have come to Christ. You know, when I was sitting there, I was thinking, what would it be like when he steps into heaven knowing he's taken at, he's taken at least three million with him? Wow. But now they're, they're showing his old sermons, which were better, all across the world. I mean, when he, I mean, he talked about a fired-up guy. I mean, he was really fired up as a young preacher. And they're, they're showing those sermons, and they're, they're taking them in the, in the homes... People are inviting their neighbors to come in and watch that Billy Graham program. And in the last five years, across the world, 8,800 and something thousand people have filled out cards saying, I'm giving my life to Christ. We saw the boxes, the, the pictures of the boxes. They even gave us a couple of those cards representing two people who had accepted Jesus Christ. Imagine that. Eight, over eight million souls won to Christ in the last five years by the preaching of God's word of the ministry of, of Billy Graham. And what I'm going to say now, and this may blow your mind, there may be somebody in heaven who has a better seat than Billy Graham that nobody's ever heard of. I promise you that all, all of us have the opportunity to live for God and to serve God. And when we get to heaven, it will be worth it all. And I hope your goal is the same of my, as mine. Let's take as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can. Because that's all that matters. So we tend to focus on the problem instead of focusing on God, and we exaggerate the consequences. The second thing we tend to do is we tend to fix blame instead of fixing the problem. I mean, what Elijah's hiding in a cave having a pity party. Hiding in a cave, he's afraid, he's whining, and he's blaming Jezebel. I mean, he'd seen God do all these miraculous things, and now he's in a cave totally worthless, paralyzed by fear, and said it's all that woman Jezebel's fault. Remember, remember Adam, when God approached Adam, he said, the woman, 
She made me do it. But then he got worse than that. The woman you gave me, by the way, God. Notice that we just want to blame. We don't want to fix a problem. We want to fix blame. The little boy who came home to school with a black eye and the mother said, son, what happened? He said, it all started when he hit me back. <laughs> so we tend to focus on the problem and exaggerate the consequences. We tend to fix blame instead of fixing the problem. And thirdly, we tend to evade our responsibilities. When you get down, the tendency is just to spend your time in indecision and in worrying and in, and in whining and in complaining and not busy about the things that you ought to be busy about. Verse 9 of chapter 19, Then he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Man of God, a man through whom I have worked miracles, a man that, that you, you saw a dead person come to life. Now what are you doing hiding in a cave doing absolutely nothing but whining and complaining? We ought to always stay busy doing good, positive things. If you want to get up when you're down, you've got to learn to, to not give up and give in and not to spend your time in a cave whining and complaining, but, but keep doing things, important things. A news commentator said that he had, the whole time he was news anchored, a famous news anchor, he had this sign on his desk. Is what I am doing right now helping the newscast? I thought that's a good statement for staff to have in this, uh, the conference room. Is what I'm doing right now helping the world? Is it helping my family? Is it helping my friends? Is it helping God? Am I doing the things that, that matter? Or am I just spinning my wheels in, in an idle way? And, and, and you do, when you're down like that, you don't want to do it, but that's when you need to do it the most. Giving in is the worst thing you can do. That's why I asked Margina to sing that song for us again this morning. And I thank her for singing those, my favorite two songs right now. But do it anyway. When you don't feel like getting up and going and doing it because you're down and discouraged, get up and do it anyway. Because there's one thing for sure, you can just stay in that cave whining and complaining and it's not going to get any better, it's going to get worse. So don't focus on the problem. Don't try to blame and fix the blame instead of fixing the problem. Don't evade your responsibilities. But the fourth thing, and I want you to listen to this very carefully. We tend to miss God in the noise of complaint. We tend to miss... See, see, when you're down, you need to hear from God. But if you are whining and complaining... How many, how many, do you, how many of you know that when you're whining and complaining, it's hard to hear at the same time? 
So, and Elijah had that problem. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain, on the mountain, the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains, tore them apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Wow. God showed up. There's nothing greater than that. Nothing more important than that. God showed up. God cares. God wants to do something. He wants to help you. God shows up and he passes by Elijah But understand, God was not in the spectacular. God was in the simplicity of a whisper. See, people want to chase the spectacular. God was not in the wind, the fire, the earthquake. Not in the spectacular, but in the simplicity of a whisper. The Bible says, be still, be quiet. And know that I'm God. Remember in everything that happens to you, God is talking to you. God is teaching you. And God is transforming you. But we, listen, we miss hearing God when our minds are filled with whining and pity and complaint and worry. Worry. We need to move from worry to worship. And you know, anytime I worry, it should be a red flag. It should be a a flashing light. A siren should go off in my mind that I have allowed something or someone other than God to be at the center of my life. Because listen to me, you can't worry and trust God at the same time. When you're worrying, you're not trusting God. You can't do both. Jesus is not a piece of the pie. He's the whole pie. He's the center. He's the core of your being. And the sooner we realize that, the better off we'll be that we can get with God. You know, it's amazing. I I, I used to tell this story years ago about the the, the mom who looked out the window in the yard in the country and she saw the children were gathered around several skunks. And she raised the window and screamed, Run! And they each picked up a skunk and ran. <laughs> but you know what we do? We give it to God and then pick it up and carry it with us and let it stink up our lives. Oh, we give it to God and we take it right back. You can't worry and trust God at the same time. The number one downer is when someone or something replaces God as the center of your life. And the number one upper is when God is the center of your life. Because when God's at the center, then you have bounceability. 
See, if you're in trouble and something happens and things do not go a good way for you, if you've got God at the center of your life and you've got that balance there and you're focusing on God, not on the problems, you've got tremendous bounceability. You're going to bounce back from what's happened. You'll always bounce back faster if God is the center, if you're focused on him. The 23rd Psalm says he holds my life in the wagon tracks of righteousness. You could call that word ruts. God keeps me in the ruts. But in the ruts are bumps. But God gives us holy shock absorbers. So what you want, you want bounceability. You want holy shock absorbers. Because the truth is we all fall down. Presidents do. Beauty contestants do. You do. I, I, I fall down. We all fall down. But we want to get back up. We want to bounce back. We want holy shock absorbers. After accepting Christ, I believe the most important decision anyone ever makes is to keep Jesus at the center of your life. Nothing is more important. I don't care what you have to go through. And you don't know what you're going to have to go through. The best thing you can do is keep Jesus at the center of your life. Because it's from that position, when God is at the center, that you have that bounceability and flexibility and you're able to absorb the, the breaks of life and the problems of life and the storms of life. But if, listen to me, if you're not God-centered, and that's the choice, either self-centered or God-centered, that's the biggest decision after trusting Christ. Will I live a God-centered life or a self-centered life? If you live a self-centered life, you are going to be down more and you're going to stay down longer when you do go down. Because self is a huge part of the problem. So how do we get up when we get down? Let's get to the practical side of it. Some simple things I want to give you. Number one, get some rest. Get some rest. The, the four most common things that get us down, fatigue, frustration, failure, fear. Those are the four things that get us down the quickest and the most. We don't have time to talk about all four. Let me just talk about fatigue for a minute because that's the most common thing that gets people down. Fatigue. We, we think we can go nine and day. We think we can go 90 miles an hour all the time. We think we can live our lives in passing gear. We can just go all the time and it won't get to us. We're human beings. God designed us to rest. To have a time that we sleep and we refresh. And if we don't do that, it's going to present problems in our lives. Lack of rest, overload, worn out. It drags you down. It lowers your immunity. It makes you susceptible to all kinds of things. First thing God did for Elijah. Now remember, Elijah is down. He is on a downer. And he is whining and he is complaining and he is blaming. And he's feeling sorry for himself. Now what kind of prescription does God give? The first thing God prescribes is rest and food. 
Now, the Bible doesn't say chocolate here. I just write that in my version. <laughs> and God sent the angel to feed him. So maybe it's angel food cake. <laughs> and then let him go back to sleep because he needed more rest. So here's the angel of God. Here's God sending his angel. What can you do for this man who is so down? Feed him and put him to bed. And then when he wakes up, feed him again, tell him to go back to sleep. Because God knows we need our rest. Then he lay down on the tree and fell asleep, and all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. You can't make this journey worn out. You need some rest. There are three gauges that you have to constantly check in your life. There's a physical gauge. That has to do with overload that will take you down and can take you out. If you have pressure in your life, and we all do, and when you have intense pressure without rest or relaxation, it's going to take you down. It can even be lethal. So we have to learn to accept our limitations. God set limitations in our lives because he loves us. And we have to acknowledge those limitations. Stop fighting them and acknowledge them and take them as a gift from God. Learn to say no because you can't do everything. You can't do everything for everyone who wants, wants you to do things for them. No is a holy word. It is a healthy word. Learn to say it. Say it with love, but learn to say it. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you a lecture. No. I will give you rest. And, and here's, here's a key. Focus on God and worship into your life, inner peace and rest. The second gauge is emotional. No one can continually give out without taking in. You have to be refilled. You have to be refreshed. You have to refresh your emotional self. You have to do some things that are, that are fun for you. You need to, you need to discover the things that that refill you emotionally and refresh you emotionally. And it'll be different for different people. It may be reading a book, lying on a couch, reading a book. It may be going out on the lake. It may be going fishing. It may, uh, it could be any different things. But you ought to have at least three things that you know will refresh you. And then when you start feeling down, take the time to do one of those things and, and let it build you back up. The third gauge is the spiritual gauge. And that has to do with your quiet time with the Lord, how often you praise the Lord. Because do you know it's hard to praise God and be down at the same time? And be grateful. One of the best ways to stay up and not be down is to have a grateful heart. Because when you really, when you really, really realize what God has given you, it's hard it's hard to ever be complaining, isn't it? Or to be negative. 
are to be down. Every good thing in our lives flows out of our relationship with God. So we remember and we reflect on God's goodness in the past, God's closeness in the present, God's promise for the future. And that'll encourage you more than anything else. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So how to get up when you're down get some rest. That's what God said. That's the first thing. The second, choose to get back up. You, you know, I've decided never to be down again. I'm going to always either be up or getting up. Are you with me? Either up or getting up. You know, we all fall down. We saw Miss USA fall down. And when I saw that the first time on television this week, I thought, I'm going to show that to the people on Sunday because she fell down. And what did she do? She got right back up, smiling, smiling. Because we all fall down. The key is immediately get back up and get back up smiling. Choose to never stay down. Years ago, and I haven't seen one in years, I, I think I saw a little a boxer and a clown and these plastic things that had something in the bottom of it at, that you could knock it down, and every time you knock it down, it bounced it back up. I mean, you, it wouldn't stay down. You, you hit it down, back up, down, right back up. That's that bounceability. That when we focus not on the problem but upon God, that even though we go down, we bounce right back up because we won't stay down. Get some rest. Choose to never stay down. You're either up or you're in the process of getting up. And it is process. The third thing is let go of the past. Let go of all the mistakes, the sins, the failures. When you let those things control your life, you're going you're gonna to stay down a lot. The truth is we all have a past. And if we don't deal with it, if we don't bring it under the blood of Christ and let it go, the past will haunt us forever. It'll never let us alone. We'll be imprisoned by yesterday's guilt. And I'm telling you, there's nothing that will suck the fun and fulfillment out of your life like sin and guilt. And I'm talking about forgiven sin. Because Satan won't let it alone. And you need to understand, he is the one that keeps bringing it up, not God. Because he knows that way he can keep you down. Some people estimate that half the people in the hospitals could be released this morning if they could receive forgiveness and let go of the past. Three things you need to do with the past. Number one is lay it out all before God. Confess, repent, and receive forgiveness. Second, learn from it. Thirdly, let it go. Because listen to me. No matter how much you worry and fret and stew and whine and complain about the past, you can never go back and do anything differently. The only thing you do with the past is you give it to God. You make sure those sins have been confessed and you've received forgiveness, and then God will never bring your past up again. That's always the devil. And don't let him get by with that. Your past doesn't define you. 
God defines you. You are who God says you are. And listen to me. God can heal what others have done to you. And God can heal what you've done to yourself. He is Rapha, the great healer. Satan, see God is the great healer. Satan is the great accuser. But let me tell you something, since you brought it up, you may not even know this. Satan knows 100% of your faults and failures and sins. He knows them all. And he loves to bring them up. And he loves to harass you. There may be people in this room that you've been beaten down for years. You've never really gotten fulfillment and joy out of serving God. You know you're saved, but Satan keeps beating you down. If I could just let you get set free this morning. Because all you're doing is giving in to the devil. And you're listening to him. He's the one accusing you. He's the one that's saying that you're a loser. He's the one who's saying you can't get over your past. I tell you, the devil will drag you down and stomp on you and stomp on you and keep you there for the rest of your life if you let him. But you don't have to let him. In fact, you can tell him, and I gave you permission to go to hell. That's his home, by the way. Because when Christ died on the cross, his heel rested squarely on the head of Satan and he crushed out his power, rendering him inoperative. He only wins when we let him win. You've got to let go of the past in order to make the present fun and fulfilling. So get some rest. Choose never to stay down. Let go of the past. But then you got to let go of the future. Do you know, in, in the, the years I've done the counseling with people, my whole ministry, 99, 40, 100 percent of the, the time, 44, 100 percent of the time, what is it? It has something to do with the past or something to do with the future. They're struggling because of what has happened and what they think might happen. So if you're going to live a balanced life, if you're going to live a fulfilled life, if you're going to live a fun life, if you're going to live a life of victory, if you're going to live a life of purpose, serving God, you're going to have to give the past to God and you're going to have to give the future to God. Only God knows the future. His is the future. So give it to him. Uh, I think a lot of people excuse their the lack of laughter and fun in their lives because they're always putting it off to a distant tomorrow. You know, I know that, you know, I'm not having any fun in my life now and not really enjoying life, but when I get married, when the kids get older, when I get a better job, when I get paid more money, when I get that promotion, when I retire, always tomorrow. Some of you are that way about serving God. Tomorrow I'm going to serve God. Tomorrow I'll work in the church. Tomorrow when things settle down in my life. I hope you're learning something from these sermons about balance and, 
that things aren't going to settle down. In fact, it looks like they're probably going to get worse. So you got to do what, you, what you're supposed to do and what you need to do. If you're going to have fun, you better start having fun right now. If you plan to ever have fun in your life, today is the only day that you've got. Tomorrow is an illusion. I, I still remember many of the things my little girl said to me when they were the little Christy and Shelby. Christy would more than Shelby. Christy, would, she, she, just gets, she, she gets excited. She's like her mother. She's either having a party or looking for a party. And so she would go to bed at night, you know, excited about what she was going to do tomorrow. And when she'd wake up in the morning, she'd say, is this tomorrow? And I'd say, no, this is today. But she was disappointed because she's always looking forward to tomorrow. But tomorrow doesn't exist. It's an illusion in our minds. Because when tomorrow gets here, it's the present. It's today. So all of those things you've told your wife you're going to do tomorrow, you're lying to her. You're not going to do a thing. <laughs> you know it's never coming. So you've got to give the future to God. That means you take one day at a time. Giving the past to God, the future to God, let go of the past, let go of the future, and take one day at a time. An old grandfather clock got to struggling because of all the ticks it had to tick. In, in fact, it was just getting to him, and he, he finally had to go to a clock psychiatrist. And he said, Dr. Clock, I got to thinking about all these ticks I've got to tick, and I just can't tick all these ticks. I don't think I've got that many ticks in me. I just can't tick. I have to tick two ticks a second and 120 ticks a minute and 7,200 ticks an hour and 174,000 ticks a day and 63 million ticks a year. I can't tick all those ticks. And the wise clock psychiatrist says, let me ask you a question. How many ticks do you tick at a time? Well, I just tick one tick at a time. Well, he said, tick that tick. And don't tick the next tick till you've ticked that tick. <laughs> Pretty good stuff. <laughs> How do we make it through life? Let go of the past. Let go of the future. Make it one tick at a time. One day at a time. This is the day God has made and I'm going to live it to its fullest I'm going to rejoice in it my time is gone and I'm not through with this uh, but it's such good stuff I'm going to pick back up next Sunday and finish it uh, because if I work all week on this stuff you got to hear it so if you don't hear it now you're going to hear it next Sunday but Know that God wants you and me to live life at its fullest. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, more abundantly. There is no greater life in this world than the life of a Christian who is focused on God. So listen, if, if you're down choose to get up and God says I'll give you the strength and you do that by not focusing on the problems but focusing on God and worshiping worshiping peace and joy into your life we hope you were blessed by our program today 
If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 